Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a lawsuit making some really explosive allegations about who knew what and when. As you may recall, 22-year-old Gabby Petito vanished during a cross-country trip with her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, in 2021. Her remains found September 19th in Wyoming. The coroner said she had died three to four weeks before they were discovered. Well, Laundrie was named as a person of interest soon after. Then he disappeared himself and was later found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. He was 23 years old. In his journal, he admitted to killing Petito. Well, now a new lawsuit alleges Laundrie's parents knew much more about what their son was up to than they had previously let on. What does all this mean? Again, there are some bombshell new accusations that came out just over the last couple of days associated with this lawsuit. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Real Crime Profile. I'm Laura Richards, criminal behavioral analyst, former New Scotland Yard founder of Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service and host of the podcast Crime Analyst. And with me today is... I'm Lisa Zambetti, casting director for CBS's Criminal Minds and board member for Higher Survivors Hollywood. And also with us today is... Hi, I'm Jim Clement, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of Criminal Minds. Today, we're going to be talking about some breaking news. Yes, and the breaking news relates to Gabby Petito. Gabby's case is... It feels like we're talking about it a lot, actually, and I think that's that's a good thing that we talk about Gabby's case, to keep Gabby in people's minds, but there's some really significant information has come to light, and that's that Brian Laundrie had called his parents, Christopher Laundrie, his father, in particular on the 29th of August, and it was a frantic phone call, that's Christopher Laundrie's words, and he said that Gabby was gone and that he needed a lawyer. And this right. information actually came out in Christopher Laundrie's deposition in October. So that's very significant when we think about the timeline. And just to give you a quick timeline so that people can yeah, remind, uh, remind, remind themselves. Me, I, 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 when you said August 22, like I was like, wait, what year was this? When was this? I mean, time just starts to fly so fast. When, what, when did all this happen? Yeah, so this was August the 29th, 2021. And on September the 1st, people might recall that Brian Laundrie returned to Florida. He was driving Gabby's van without, without Gabby. Her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really important. He returns without her. And then on September the 2nd, the Laundrie parents call Steve Bertolino, a defense attorney, and they put him on a retainer. And it wasn't until September the 11th that Gabby was reported missing. 
So that timeline is really significant. Right. Firstly, that Brian Laundry and I always felt that there were, we knew that there were calls and there were messages between Brian and the family. We didn't know the detail of that, but now we do know specifically on August the 29th that Christopher Laundry was called frantically by Brian saying Gabby was gone and that he needed a lawyer. But Laura, this is two days after they think she died, though, right? Right. Two days. Right. Well, I, I believe the window was was possibly the the twenty seventh. Remember, she was alive. She was seen in Whole Foods with Brian, and I tracked this case in in micro detail. She was right. seen alive with him, but there was an argument in the Merry Piglets where a number of people heard Brian arguing with the server, Gabby being very upset, him leaving, the manager of the restaurant coming over. Gabby, having left the restaurant, comes back in and apologizes. And a number of witnesses did come forward and say that that was what they witnessed. Then the couple was seen in Whole Foods and Gabby sort of holding herself and, and making herself small. And really, that's the last sighting of them, well, certainly of Gabby, them together on the 27th. Right. So I think the 27th, 28th, he makes the call on the 29th. And Brian is seen a number of times on his own. He's picked up by someone in a car and he's acting very strangely. So that window of time, when you look at the timeline, it, I mean, it's significant that he, remember, took Gabby's card, filled the van up with gas using her money, $1,000 worth, and then he travels using her van across the country back to Florida. And on September the 2nd, that's when the laundry parents put Steve Bertolino, a defense attorney, on a retainer. And I, I always said, why would you do that? If they didn't know anything, why would they do that? And of course, they then stonewalled the family, Gabby's family. Gabby's mother, Nicole, and Joe Petito were calling them. Brian had returned back without Gabby. And so they were calling. For 14 days, they said nothing. 14 right. days. That's a long period of time. And the Petito family do have a cause of action. You'll remember a lawsuit against the laundries. And that lawsuit is effectively that the laundries knew. Mm -hmm. And it relates to a specific statement that Steve Bertolino made on the family behalf on September the 14th. And the statement was this. He said, on behalf of the laundry family, it is our hope that the search is successful and Miss Petito is reunited with her family. Right. Which is a total bullshit. I mean, a, a, a direct lie that was aimed at making them believe that Gabby was still alive, even though, at least in the allegations now, based on that phone call on the 29th, that they knew that Gabby was actually dead. And that's such a terrible, that's a talk about, I mean, whatever the legal implications are, the moral implications yeah. of this are incredibly reprehensible. This is a, a girl that was living in your house and you don't have the decency to tell her parents who are frantic trying to find her that you already know what happened to her. And then they, they go off on a little vacation with Brian, right? With Brian yeah. and, and their daughter. They go up, off on this little vacation and then he supposedly comes back to the house, but then when law enforcement actually knocks on his door, oh, he's not there. We don't know where he is. 
Yeah, so and remember all the time, Nicole and Joe are calling and messaging, trying to find out information, and they were stonewalled. And Steve Bertolino, the lawyer, said it's their right to remain silent. Steve Bertolino was also named in the lawsuit, subsequently the lawyer. And this statement really is the focal point of the case, because they made the statement in the knowledge that Gabby was dead. That's what the Petito family say. And they knew it for 14 days. They kept quiet despite their pleas. I mean, I can't even imagine the anguish that, mm-hmm. that they would feel trying to get information out. So the lawsuit, you know, they basically state, and it, it criticizes this statement, that for the laundries and Steve Bertolino to express hope, hope that Gabby will be reunited with her family and that she'd be located, and yet they knew that she had been murdered by by Brian Laundrie was beyond outrageous. That's what the yeah. Petitos say. And I agree with them. And the other thing is that Steve Berlino reached out to criminal defense attorneys in Wyoming at that time. He hired local criminal defense attorneys in Wyoming, where, of course, Gabby was murdered by Brian Laundrie. And the fact is that there were a number of text messages sent from Gabby's phone meant to look as though she was still alive. And those must have been sent from Brian Laundrie. And that is another level of depravity that we see from Laundrie. And then, of course, when they find his body after he committed suicide, there's the, you know, infamous sort of confession writings in which he basically just totally removes himself from any kind of blame, saying that he was actually mercifully putting her out of her misery because she fell and hurt her leg or something ridiculous. I mean, it was just so ridiculous and asinine. But this is the kind of person that he is or was. And it's no it's it's no surprise based on how his parents acted. This is how he was brought up. And they actually reinforced all of this by when he came back with her van, without her, they did nothing. They did nothing to publicly help law enforcement find her or to actually make their son take responsibility for what he had done. So all of that, all of that is reprehensible conduct. And I hope that that this lawsuit goes forward and they are held at least civilly responsible for all that. Yes, and you make reference, Jim, just of the, the text message that was sent from Gabby's phone to Nicole Schmidt to Mum's phone. It was the day after the 29th, that was on August the 30th, that Gabby's phone texts Nicole, Mum, saying that she had no cell service, while Nicole interprets that text as an attempt by Brian to deceive her into believing that Gabby's alive. Yeah. Which... We believe too, having timelined the case. So that element of deception of him thinking through what he's going to do next and calling his family for assistance and them in that knowledge, then stonewalling the family, talking to a defense lawyer, then staying quiet. And one of the key issues I have is that they said it was their right to remain silent, but they didn't. They didn't remain silent. They made a statement giving false hope. Yeah. Hmm. And that's horrific. And so, yes, the moral dilemma versus a legal one is what right. a lot of people are interested in. You know, and I talked about it on Crime Analyst, the, uh, you know, 
horrific situation, if you ever found yourself in this situation, which you hope as a parent that you never would, what would you do? That's what I keep and, thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And That's what I think to myself, if my son made that call, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but what I'm trying to give them a little bit of grace and not just think that they're completely selfish human beings. But if my son called and was in a panic and confessed this to me, I would say, turn yourself in. Don't leave her out there. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll help you, but you've got to turn yourself in. And whatever advice they did give him went terribly, terribly wrong. I mean, in the end, it did not lead to a good outcome, right? I mean, yeah. their strategy, whatever it was, keep, to try to keep the pretense that she might still be alive. I don't even understand that strategy. Well, if they're trying to, if they're trying to protect their son, they didn't do a good job, right? Because right. he ended his life anyway. So the outcome was devastating. So, you know, and I play that over, what would you do? And the moral compass of me would just be marching Rafi to the police station, actually, yeah. of ensuring, as you said, that Gabby wasn't left out there. She was left in a shallow grave and everything they did was about protecting Brian. And I've analyzed Roberta's letter to Brian. You'll remember that when he was recovered, it, when he was found, that Roberta and Christopher, it was His their mother, first right. day yeah, when they went out searching for him, that they find him. And I always found that very bizarre. Why did they find him immediately? And I go back to that conversation they originally had. If you have a conversation with your son, he tells you, Gabby's gone, I need a lawyer. Well, you're going to say, what happened? And where is she? And what do you mean? Right? Mm -hmm. So that would be the natural flow of a conversation. So I believe that they knew much more. And let's not forget what happened with law enforcement. They sent law enforcement off in all directions and everybody was searching for Gabby. I wonder what the cost of all of that was when the laundries knew fully well, Brian. And I believe that it's my belief and my opinion that he probably was pressed by them of what happened and when and how. And they most likely had that information. I think the Titos always felt that the laundries knew more. And lots of people were saying, well, this lawsuit, it won't bring Gabby back. No, it won't. But what they're seeking is accountability yes. and justice for their yes. daughter. And I totally understand that. And I have empathy for that. They feel that it was covered up. And the fact that so many other people were brought into this investigation where Gabby could have been recovered far earlier on, it's a huge cost in every way to the family and also to law enforcement and the national searches. I mean, I was posting all the pictures of Gabby and they held the answers and most people suspected that, but now it's been proven. If and when it goes to trial, I'm sure there will be more to come because going back to when Brian was found, you'll recall that the bag was also found. It had been underwater and we analyzed that letter, Jim, that you talked mm -hmm. about. We went through it line by line and it was the most ridiculous nonsense, this mercy killing. And we talked about that. So do listen to our previous episodes. But you might remember that I mentioned that Pat Riley, the family's lawyer, Gabby's family lawyer, talked about two other versions of it. It wasn't the only version. I would really like that information to be disclosed. What were the other versions, the other iterations of it? And what else is there that we don't know about? And I'm sure much more will come out if it goes. I know the laundries have been trying to settle with the petitos, right. but I'm not sure but, they will settle on this. But the other thing that 
uh, Brian Laundrie's mother had written a note and in the note, it says, destroy this after you read it, that you couldn't have a better example of her actually participating in helping him cover up the information about what he had done to Gabby. I mean, she was, it's just, like I said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. He is acting in the same depraved way that his parents acted. And that is something that it's just reprehensible. It is absolutely reprehensible. And the other thing is that the Petitos started the Gabby Petito, Petito Foundation to help victims of domestic violence. And because Gabby was betrothed to Brian Laundry, they were fiancés. And this is something that the Petito family want to help prevent in the future. And so they want the Laundries to have to fund that foundation to have to pay money in because every penny they make in that lawsuit is going to go towards the Gabby Petito Foundation. And that's really important. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like, every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way, too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. The burn after reading letter, Jim, that was disclosed some time ago. I can't remember if we talked about it on Real Crime yeah, Profile. I know we did talk about the burn we after did. reading. And, yeah. and after that, Roberta Laundrie made a statement. And that was the first time, well, the second time, really, that she broke her silence. And I think that that was a very interesting thing that she did, that she tried to get out the gate, explain that letter. And you might remember she referenced, you know, a movie that they had seen, Burn After Reading, and books that she read to Brian as a toddler you know, certain bunny books and various other things. And she was trying to explain away references in that letter. But it was very clear that she knew. Remember, she said that she would, if he went to prison, she'd bust him out of prison. She'd get a shovel and come and help him bury a body. There were all these references that were so specific. Not what a normal, you know, mum and son 
letter would be, and her explanation mm-hmm. for it was just not credible at all. But it did talk to the bond, this very bizarre dynamic going on in their relationship. And you talked about the foundation as well, the Gabby Petito Foundation, which is dedicated to finding missing people and stopping domestic violence. Domestic violence is a key part, coercive control, but also finding missing people. I always say Gabby wasn't missing. Brian killed her and left her there and then said nothing and drove across the country and just thought he could make up a new narrative. But Mm -hmm. it's amazing what the Petitas are doing. And the, you might remember that they had a lawsuit against Brian Laundrie's estate, and that was for it was a wrongful death suit that was settled in Nicole Schmidt's favour on behalf of, as an in- administrator, I should say, of Gabby's estate, and they were awarded three million. So that would go into the foundation, and if they are successful in this lawsuit, that would go into the foundation, as you said, Jim, and. There's also a lawsuit against Merb City Police, and that's a, a $15 million wrongful death complaint, and one that I believe, I mean, they have the lawyers who were representing Laura McCluskey's family, who was also murdered in Utah, where there was an extensive history of domestic violence, coercive control, and stalking, and they have the same lawyers, McConkie et al., representing the Petito family. So, and I do believe there needs to be accountability here. Yes. It's the only way we get change and, and hold people to account to create change. And, and that's what they want. It's not about the money, but they will use that money to help other people. And I think that that's an incredible thing that they're doing. Right. And, you know, Laura, you and I both were on different news programs just in the time between the time that Gabby Petito was missing and and the video surfaced of the interaction with the police department and how this one officer seemed to be dealing with it properly and another officer comes in and just takes over and totally uses his own biases his own personal biases against his ex to make Gabby out to be the bad guy and and then you know we we commented about how Brian Laundry literally laughed out loud when they called him the victim and, you know, he tested the waters, he did all the stuff. And then he realized, oh, I got, I just got a couple of, you know, buddies here and everything's going to be fine for me. Nothing, I'm not going to get in trouble. But the fact that they missed this opportunity and all the signs of course and control and all of the abuse that had actually been going on, the fact that she was, that Gabby had, during the entire interaction was, you know, distressed in severe distress. They completely brushed it over as a hysterical woman and did not see or did not care to see what was actually going on. So I think that lawsuit is actually going to be really important because giving someone the authority to make a decision like that on the road and to interfere with what the first officer was actually doing and then creating a situation in which Gabby is now even more vulnerable because... Brian was just his behavior, his negative behavior, his violent behavior, his coercive behavior was all reinforced in that, in those moments with those cops. And she ends up dead within days of that. And that is a missed opportunity. This, her life could have been saved by those officers. That's their job. Instead, this guy just intervenes and creates just an absurd, there's no way that the 
what he observed should have ended in Gabby Petito being named as the aggressor. And if he had actually listened to the caller who said he witnessed Brian striking Gabby and he witnessed Brian screaming at her, if he had actually listened to that, then he should have known that she was not the aggressor that Brian Laundrie was. Yes, if he had listened to what both of them had said, Brian actually admitted to striking her first, and that was missed. Two male witnesses called it in, two independent Mm -hmm. male witnesses. Gabby also told Officer Pratt when she was in the back of the police vehicle, that's where they put her, and Brian was stood outside chatting to the four officers, the two police officers and the two park rangers. And Gabby said, well, he said, did he hit you? And she said, he put his hand and then she showed over my mouth and my nose and she showed him. And he didn't ask her to step out the vehicle so he could see her face. He didn't take pictures. He didn't document it. He just replied by saying, tell me about Brian's driving. That was the offence. In Utah, there's a strangulation offence, asphyxiation, handover. That's a high risk factor to femicide. And that's what was missed. The intention I felt from both officers, once Officer Robbins was railed in by the, the more senior officer, Officer Pratt, was they wanted a male victim. And they actually said, we've mm-hmm. got ourselves a male victim. And you're right. And he just laughed which I, I've always said I've never seen a victim laugh when they've been identified as the victim. And no. there's Gabby dysregulated in the back of the car crying. And there's Brian laughing. Oh, who's clearly, yeah, it's just such an absurd sequence of events where they all leave thinking they've done a good job telling Gabby, shall I tell him that you love him? And she looks at the officer and looks away. She says, tell him, don't forget your charger. And he'd already lied to the police and said he didn't have a phone. There were just so many points where he lied and manipulated them. Officer Robbins did zero in on Brian at one point and said, Brian, you're acting, you're being quite manic. And he turned around. He said, oh, am I? Well, look at Gabby. She's the crazy one. And then that's when Officer Robbins started to question Gabby's behavior. So there were so many points of pickup. That if they had just sat back, sat back and thought, well, why is Gabby so upset? Why is she so dysregulated? Well, we've now seen a picture of her. You might recall that her lawyers, the family lawyers, released a photo of her just minutes before the police stop. And she had blood all around her eye and around her face, her cheek. And she had obviously taken that selfie. Right. Why take you know? that? documenting it, and then she'd cleaned herself up. But if Officer Pratt had done his job and asked her to step out the car, Remember how the time that they took documenting Brian's little defensive injuries on his hands and taking pictures and asking him to lift his shirt. They did all of that, but nothing for Gabby. The the double standard for the true victim who, if they'd bothered to do the vehicle check, they would have known it was her van. She was trying to get her keys to get into her van. He had taken her phone. The male witnesses said he had taken her phone. He was threatening to leave her there. He had put the backpack out of the van. On the back, yeah. All the indications were he threatened to leave her there and she was desperate to get in the van. And even Officer Pratt said, oh, the, I just spoke to, to one of the guys and he said she was desperate to get in the van. And he doesn't think, well, hang on, Brian's controlling her movement, stopping her from getting into the van. He's got her keys, got her phone, put her backpack out. As a young you know, 22-year-old, of course she's going to be fearful she's going to be left. 
But Brian takes that narrative and he said he was fearful. She was going to leave him there. He took her story and Darvode. So there were some very simple, basic things they didn't do and they didn't understand their own law. You know, that she was the predominant victim. He was the aggressor. The power imbalance was with him. And we talk about this on Real Crime Profile and on Crime Analyst. So do listen to our previous episodes. But the power imbalance, he was the one holding power, not Gabby. And that was just very obvious from when you look at what happened. And there was a review written by Captain Radcliffe. And the review was just shockingly bad, quite frankly. Yeah, he was just a mate of one of the officers at Moab who clearly didn't understand domestic violence, coercive control, didn't understand their own laws and policy. And there's a 101 Utah domestic violence manual, and I went through it line by line, and it's all in there for their guidance of how they should have been trained. And that's also the Petito family who feel very strongly officers must be trained. They must be trained on coercive control and on risk, on risk assessment to ask the right questions. Okay. And remember, Why do we people still have to die before they do what they're supposed to do? I mean, it's yeah. just Yeah, and Melissa, Melissa Hulls was the female officer who spent time with Gabby, and yet none of the male officers asked her what Gabby told her. They didn't even know her name. That talks about the lack of interest, really, in what was going on. And even in the female officer, where the Parks Police have never released that footage. And I'm curious about that. That's something that mm. the Petito should try and get hold of. So there were so many points of failure. And on Crime Analyst, I literally went through minute by minute of that police stop for learning. And, you know, I say, please listen to our Real Crime Profile episodes and to that because it's good training. We know lots of police officers listen to us, you know, and crime analysts, no matter who you are and what you do. This is free training to listen to us discuss and break down what happened and what should have happened. Because I talk about it from Gabby's POV, but also Brian's POV of his level of manipulation for a 23-year-old was, you know, off the charts that he managed to manipulate four officers in one, on one occasion and they spent 75 minutes with him. But I also talk about law enforcement and what they should have done. You know, I am the author of the book, Policing Domestic Violence. And yeah. I always forget to say that, but I wrote the police manual with two police officers as subject matter experts on how police should respond. And it literally is the how not to in terms of what you see on the police body-worn camera footage. And it's not a resource issue either, because that's what Captain Radcliffe said. It's a resource issue. Well, you don't normally get on a domestic violence call out four officers. In the current mm -hmm. climate, you're lucky if you get one, quite frankly, but there were four there. It's not about resources. But the Policing Domestic Violence book written for Oxford University Press is a very practical guide that goes through who's the real victim, for example. How do you understand who's the real victim when you get someone darvoing? What the call handler should do? And literally, they failed at every point, but they all walked off thinking they did a good job. And that was shockingly bad. And Laura, it occurs to me that the people, there were, the general public were alarmed by the behavior they saw, but law enforcement yeah. was able to justify it. Or as you, I mean, you've explained it so perfectly on, on how it all broke down, but it just strikes you that, that, you know, somebody like me and Joe Bag of Donuts, we could see there was something wrong going on with this couple and that she was in distress and needed help. And, I hope that, you know, we can all keep our eyes and ears out for other Gabbies out there. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I was training, teaching people on coercive control today and yesterday, and we talked about the police stop specifically, and we went through it. And actually, a number of people said when they first saw it, they thought Brian was just very calm and that Gabby was, you know, a little bit crazy from the way she was behaving. And I'm just sharing that because oftentimes people do pay attention to the calm person and think, well, and please do this. Traditionally, they go to the calm person and they get their narrative and they think because they're calm and controlled and that they're the sensible one. And then the more the victim, the true victim is crying and dysregulated, the more it might play into someone like Brian who's saying, well, she's crazy and she's this and her little this and and so on. So I think, you know, some people would have seen that footage and really not understood that Gabby's response, her emotional dysregulation was the red flag, the signal to show that she was the one that had suffered trauma. And when she then went on to claim responsibility, you know, oh, sorry, it was me. I did it. I grabbed the wheel. I did this. I did that. That again, they were red flags because Brian, on the other hand, was saying it was all Gabby. He's calm, he's controlled, and he's saying it's Gabby, she's crazy, she did this, she did that, we argued, but it was a pleasant morning, but we had a, I wanted to get off and go on my hike. And then you've got Gabby crying and upset in the back. So I think it's interesting because a lot of people saw that police stop. There were two cameras, body-worn camera footage, uh, you know, footage released, wasn't there? And we but they, went through they one released of the it. crime profile. Yeah, but they released it thinking that it supported what the officers did. And what they didn't take into account was these officers did not take into account the fact that there was 911 calls that never pointed at Brian being a victim, but pointed at him being the offender. And if that's the initiation, that's why they were actually following that van. It makes yeah. no sense to then flip it on its head, ignore the actual calls that came in and turn it into a fiasco like they did, a fiasco that's life-threatening. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. it was terrible. I mean, the message for Gabby, those officers spent 80% of their time with him. Even on how long you spend with someone, it's telling her you're not important and you're the problem. Brian's the important one. And then she most likely, I mean, I don't know, did she hear them laughing and bumping fists and doing all of that? Most likely. 
And so even that, you know, they then leave the chances of Gabby calling for help and Brian's behavior, well, the, the chances of her calling for help reduces, of course, because the police and everyone have told her she's the problem. And I'm sure Brian would have used that against well, him. You saw you know, what they did. Yeah. He was emboldened for sure. And that's why it ended up where it did. Did Gabby say, I've had enough and I'm leaving? I think that's probably likely. But he was emboldened for sure. And that's what professionals have to understand, that you can embolden a, a perpetrator when you collude with them and when you believe their narrative without challenging it or contesting it. And remember, he was never challenged, not once, in his narrative, even though the calls, Jim, were about no. the gentleman, yeah. in inverted commas, slapping the woman. Well, he's certainly not a gentleman, was he? Even that language... Um, you know, from the caller, but there was just so much that should have been questioned and his account absolutely should have been questioned and queried and it just wasn't. And poor Gabby mm. trying to tell Officer Pratt, he did put his hand, you know, he took my keys, he took my phone and Pratt's just not interested. Well, there were allegations of domestic violence against Pratt too. Mm -hmm. So you've got a problem, haven't you? When you've got an officer who's being investigated for domestic violence and here he is responding and he wants to find the female irrespective of the evidence and the information that's coming forward but he wants to disregard all of that and see that she's the problem yeah so I, and I so think, much learning you know, that's going to be some uh, very important case a very important case Absolutely. Um, just, to, just to bring it back to the update that Laura was telling us about today, as far as the, the new information coming out about the, these phone calls, I mean, just the cold cauterization that this family had in their heart once they knew Gabby was dead. It's like, well, it's a fait accompli. There's nothing we can do, so we better circle the wagons and just cover our son's ass for as long as possible. It is just so cynical and unemotional and inhuman and, and we've just got to do better we've got to do better you know there has to be as you always say laura where's the learning well let's learn not to be accomplices in our son's murder you know not let's let's have some accountability and consequences and he might still be alive if that had happened and certainly the petitos could have had a day in court to face him and to give a victim impact statement and it's just it's just terrible it is. And one last question, because I know people really want to know this. And I'm going to throw it to you, Jim. This is obviously in the civil court. What do you believe the chances are of anything in terms of criminal procedures, allegations? Is it likely that there could be anything criminal that might follow for them knowing and having this knowledge and remaining silent and doing nothing? Well, there is a possibility. If they prove, if they find and they prove, they're able to prove that the family actually lied to law enforcement in the course of this investigation. There could be criminal charges brought for that. There is potential for some post-murder uh, collaboration and helping somebody get away with and from authorities. So accessories after the fact, for example, that that's a potential criminal violation as well. But um, I... It's possible that this civil case will bring out evidence that will confirm that one way or the other, but I think the chances of a criminal charge being brought at this late date is probably very slim, unless uh, the district attorney's offices and the federal authorities could also be involved, but 
unless they're waiting to see what happens in the civil case. And, and when the discovery is complete and hopefully uh, if it goes to trial, obviously all that information will become public. If, if it doesn't, if they settle the case, it's a chance that, that, that information will all be buried in the settlement. In other words, there'll be a non-disclosure agreement and nobody's going to be able to talk about it. And I think for that reason alone, I think the Petito family would not want to do that. I think they want to bring it out. I know the Laundry family wants them to settle, but I don't think they're going to do that. I hope they don't do it. Yes, I believe they probably won't settle for that reason. I think there's much more to come, actually. And I do wonder, Jim, whether there's more to come that might point in that direction of criminal charges. You know, the aiding and abetting part, well, we now know the 29th, they knew that Gabby was gone. There's only really one way you can interpret that. And then what did they do, if anything, to help Brian? One thing was getting the lawyer, and Steve Bertolino has always maintained it's their right to remain silent. But what else did they do behind the scenes? And to the people who say, well, it won't bring Gabby back, well, no, none of this will bring Gabby back, but there has to be accountability. And I do believe that. It may and help I'm, prevent the next Gabby. Exactly. And the lessons and the learning and the accountability piece and justice for Gabby, this is her legacy. And it's important that I believe the truth should out. And you only really get to truth as we have gradually with these lawsuits. We've learned more and more, haven't we? Without the lawsuits, yeah. it probably would have all gone away. So that shows the right. importance of what the Petitos have done here, even though it brings them great anguish. And it means that it's ongoing. It's expensive to do. It's a huge cost to do it, but they're doing the right thing for their daughter. And that's really important for, for Gabby Petito. And as I always say, I, I wish the Petitos well, and I hope the truth does out. I hope we do get to discover exactly what they did and how they did it and when they did it. And I think slowly, it's like pulling a thread of a jumper, isn't it? Slowly mm. we're, it's, it's unraveling. So, yeah. We'll see. Okay. So we're all thinking about Gabby and her family, and it's so important that we send to Gabby and we have great empathy for the Petitos and for what they're going through and for what they're trying to achieve. So hashtag her name was Gabby Petito. Thank you so much for listening. And for now, this is Real Crime Profile signing out. If you like listening to our show and appreciate the work that Jim and Laura do and their expertise, you can do us a big favor. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to our pod and leave us a five-star rating and write your thoughts about why you enjoy our show. It really, really is important and helps other people find us. Also, did you know that you can share our episode? It is so easy. On the Apple Podcast app, click the three dots drop down menu and you'll see an option to share to your socials or to a particular person and then they can hear for themselves why you love listening to Real Crime Profile. Thank you so much for your support. Hey Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! 
The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice. Only on Freebie. Real Crime Profile was created by Jim Clemente, Laura Richards, and Lisa Zambetti. Produced by Laura Richards, Lisa Zambetti, Jim Clemente, and XG Productions, and distributed by Wondery. Editing by Nick Jaworski at Podcast Monster. Logo art by Jim Clemente. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. Simba Tsumba.